going to throw it. And he's got the touchdown! Here's Brady's pass. It's Gronkowski! Oh! Max strips it! He is unbelievable! Welcome to the next episode of the Tabor Gridiron Podcast. I'm Steven here with my son Isaac once Hello. again. This is going to be a fun episode, Isaac. Yes, it is. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited. First of all, you can like us, follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Share us. That's the best for us. Pass it along to your friends, family, whoever. You can comment on the Podbean app anytime and send us an email, tabergridiron at gmail.com. Isaac, as you know, we get to have guests every once in a while. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really cool because today we get to talk to a player. Okay. A former player from the NFL. And not just just any player. We get to talk to to a place kicker, to a kicker. Hmm. I think that's, that's a, cool. such a cool perspective yeah. and a cool way to just get a different angle of the game a little bit. And I think just hearing from a kicker of what is that process like? What, you know, sometimes games are completely on your shoulders of yeah. winning or losing. So today we get to hang out and spend some time with... Todd Peterson. Todd was drafted in 1993. He's played with various different teams. Some of those, Arizona Cardinals, Kansas City Chiefs, Ooh, 49ers, nice. Pittsburgh Steelers, and the Seattle Seahawks. Most of his time was with Seattle, which is super cool. That is cool. From 95 to 99, and he was just outstanding. Uh, it just had a great field goal percentage, making it just about 80%. 235 out of 296. Like, that's wow. just crazy. But really, the extra points, dude, this is, like, phenomenal. 99%, just over 99% of extra points, making 338 of 341. That's just outstanding. So I'm super excited to be able to visit with Todd. Todd, thank you so much for being here yeah, on the Tabor Gridiron Podcast. Well, I'm glad to be with you guys. It's great to connect and look forward to hanging out for a few minutes. Yeah, appreciate your time. So, first of all, your your stats are are amazing, and, mm-hmm. and that's super cool, especially with the extra points. Now, I mean, as far as what I'm finding and seeing, you've missed like three extra points in your career, which is crazy good. Isaac and I have seen especially in the last couple of years, this year, so many extra points missed around the league. Now, I do know they changed that. It used to be about, I think, 20 yards-ish when you were kicking. Now it's 32 yards-ish. They've moved that. Does that really play a part? Like, take me through some of that. What do you think is really going on with so many missed extra points? Was it easier or is it, what, what do you think is going on? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I mean, I think guys um, missing extra points today is a little bit interesting because they're not missing the same from the same distance on their field goals, right? I mean, you know, you right. see all these guys hit 80, 85, 90, 95% of their field goals, and they'll go, you know, 10 for 10 inside, you know, 35 or from the 30 to the 39 yard range. And but then you'll see him miss two or three extra points and it, and it's kind of a little bit of an interesting thing. And, and I think some of it's a mental thing. I think that, you know, the, the uh, reality is that as a place kicker in the NFL college, maybe even all the way down to high school, I mean, that's a long time ago for me. And, 
and I don't really remember exactly what I was thinking 35, you know, right. near, nearly mm-hmm. four years ago. But I think a, an extra point is kind of a gimme, right? I mean, we, we kind of think it's just a chip shot and we go out there and we, you know, as long as we kind of don't do anything egregiously wrong, it's going to go through. And the reality is that, like you said, the difference between 20 yards and 33 yards is significant. I, I kind of liken it to if you're a hunter and you got a rifle with a scope on it and and you're, you know, off in the scope a tiny bit, you know, 50 yards, 100 yards, 200 yards, 300 yards away, the the error is more and more pronounced. And so when you're hitting a ball from 20 yards, it's it's got, you know, you got a little more room for error than when, you, when you're hitting a ball from 33 yards, 40 yards, or 50 yards. And and so um, some of it's probably, you know, uh, re- related to that. And, and then some of it's probably mental. Um, you know, we're expected to make the kicks that we are expected to make. And, and you get a little bit of gravy or icing on the cake when you make the kick you're not expected to make. And we used to always talk about, you know, a couple things. One, we're expected to make kicks after a miss. That's the different differentiator between an NFL kicker and a guy who wants to be an NFL mm-hmm. kicker. It's the mental, you got to be able to bounce back from a miss. And, you know, I think for about seven years, I didn't miss two kicks in a row. And, you know, that that's a really big deal. Awesome. Um, and then you got got to make the kick that you're expected to make and and the kick you're expected to make is the kick inside you know 50 it's it's that 38 yarder or the 41 yarder or the 32 yarder or the 27 yarder you know do they want you to make the 53 yarder of course they do but they realize that you're not going to make all those and mm-hmm. and there are a few guys really 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 good at long long range field goals. But for the most part, most of us have kind of been in that 40 to 50% range on, on long kicks, but we've been really, really accurate inside 50 because that's what you're expected to do. You're expected to make the kicks that you're expected to make. And so I think part of the reason there's some scrutiny around the, the extra point thing is because teams are expecting guys to get that single point. That's a big deal in a, you know, a 17-16 game or a 24-23 game or a 31-30 game. I mean, you miss an extra point, you lose a game sometimes. So uh, it's an interesting conundrum. For sure, yeah. It does sound like an interesting conundrum. And people are always expecting you, and that is definitely a lot of responsibility for the kickers. One thing I wanted to ask, take me through, like, the process of a kick, whether it's a field goal or an extra point. What is like the process of a kick from a kicker's perspective? That's a really good question, Isaac. And, you know, we um, are taught and and learn if you're going to stick around any length of time to kind of approach every kick the same. You, you really don't want to approach, a, you know, a 55-yard field goal different than you approach an extra point or a 48-yard game-winning field goal different than you approach a 37-yard kick in the first quarter. If you if you start approaching those things circumstantially and, and differently based on, on circumstance and where you are in the game and all that, you're not going to be very effective because it starts to get in your head and you start to make a kick bigger than it is, you know, for lack of a better way of thinking about it. And so... You know, as a Christian and, and a, a person of faith, early on, I had to wrestle with the idea that, you know, I, God's not a rabbit's foot 
you know, and he's not a genie mm. in a bottle that I can mm -hmm. rub and call on to, you know, help me out when I need him to help me out. I, I got to walk honorably and I got to, you know, set my eyes on Jesus. I got to trust him. I got to know that he's given me talent. I've invested it wisely. And then I'm going to go out there and let the chips fall where they fall, you know, on game day because I worked hard Monday to Saturday to be ready to play. And so For sure. I think first and foremost, keep every kick the same. Don't make it bigger than it is. Uh, you know, you have a routine. You go through that routine. Every kicker that I've ever known, including myself, has their routine. It's kind of their personal, you know, idiosyncrasies around how they're going to take their steps and approach the ball and all that. You know, the, the first thing you've done when you take the field is you picked your target line. And, and so somewhere in that stadium, you know, beyond the goalposts, online with where you are going to be kicking from, there's some image or advertising sign or scoreboard, you know, number, name a team, whatever that you pick behind the field goal post to line up with kind of an invisible line all the way back to that point on the field where you'll strike the ball and you want the ball to be true to that line. You, you really want to make sure that you stay on your line all the way through the kick and and so your your steps are taken in in the hopes that you actually will approach the ball, plant your foot next to the ball, strike the ball, and finish with your body square to and online with that target. And and when you do that, you make most of your kicks. And it's a little bit like golf, a um, little bit like pitching. You know, you, you know, a pitcher wants to finish and follow through on it on online, and mm -hmm. and you know, a golf to stay online on his swing plane and you don't want to be falling off the the, the tee you know box and you don't want to as a pitcher be falling off the mound and you know it's so there's some similarities between other things tennis is another one um but there's some ge geometry to it and and at the same time a lot about tempo not over swinging not trying to kill the ball even though it's maybe a longer field goal you know, the, the physics of it and, and the mechanics of it are, are, you know, the fundamentals are really important. And at the end of the day, you kick the ball further because you swing your leg faster, not because you have a giant muscular leg and you can squat 800 pounds. It's really a lot like golf or baseball swinging a bat. You know, you hit the ball hard when you have bat speed you you hit the ball far when in golf when you have club head speed you kick the ball far when you have leg speed so well, okay so first of all that this is fascinating and mm -hmm. a perspective that I, i've never gotten before i really even understood and that that's so cool in itself so first of all two things so basically what you're saying is you're also there's your process of your kick, the process of obviously them snapping the ball, the holder grabbing it, and then you're also processing obviously in split seconds of how how fast you're swinging your leg. Like so, there's also like you you're doing a 32 yard field goal. Now you're doing a 45 yard field goal. That part of your process is: Are you mentally thinking how fast do I need to swing? How hard do I need to kind of hit this? Or is that all just second nature? I think that's really all second nature. And that goes back to like not making a kick different from another kick. I mean, you, what, what I mean by, you know, the leg speed part of what I was talking about is that over time you develop greater leg speed, which enables you to kick the ball further 
but whether it's a, an extra point or a 35 yard field goal or a 50 yard field goal, you're going to swing your leg the same way. Got it. It's that you have more distance or range, the, the, the more you, you develop leg speed. So you're, 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 you're kicking your extra point. The ball's going to go just as far as if you hit a 50 yard field goal. It's just nice to know that as you develop leg speed, your range increases. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So when you do look at some of these, you know, stats even around the the league now, uh, right now, as at this point, Justin Tucker holds that of sixty six yards. I mean, over the years they've been, you know, sixty three yarders, sixty three. I'm looking at several. You know, Matt Prater, Matt Maher, you know, Graham Gano, Jason Elam, David Akers. I mean, some of these are crazy far kicks. That yes, they're they're rare. They a lot of we see them all the time, you know, the 58 yarders and people aren't making them going into some of these 60s. So is, you know, somebody like Justin Tucker, they say, is one of the most accurate kickers. There's debates on that. I think right now in the league, he is one of the best is are we going to see further and further kicks it, it, or is it just guys? I, you know, is Justin Tucker a one of a kind guy that I can make a 66 yarder? Can he maybe make a 68 yarder? What what do you what is there a difference that's happening right now with some of the kickers? Because you don't really see that a whole lot in certain ones you do. Yeah, uh, you know, I think it's a few things. I mean, one, there are guys who are uniquely physically talented, and and Justin, I would say, is one of those guys. I mean, I, I don't know Justin well. I've I've met him briefly. I do not know him well, but he's obviously very gifted and very talented. And you know, I I I don't think it's a stretch to say, you know, maybe God, you know, gave him something unique, right? right? I mean, mm-hmm. he whether whether or not God, when he decided to breathe life into Justin Tucker, you know, decided I'm going to make him the best kicker in history or not. I don't know that, but, but he did give him physical ability. That's very unique. He, he generates leg speed. He has a poise about him. He has a focus and a concentration, you know, that have enabled him to become the very best. And he may go down in history as the best ever. I, it won't surprise me at all. Um, there are a lot of things that go into, you know, a guy making a big kick. First, you have to have the opportunity. I mean, you have to be on a team where the yeah. head coach has a philosophy that says, I'm going to give a guy a crack at this. I mean, it's the end of the game, the end of the half. We need the points, you know, whatever. You got to have the opportunity. And, and some coaches are really averse and reticent to, you know, kicking a long ball. They just don't like it. They, they kind of are are not you know, proponents of it. Others philosophically believe in it. And and John Harbaugh clearly has decided I'm going to take a shot because I got a guy who I think can make the kick. And, and, and so, you know, one opportunity, of course, some of that comes down to the credibility of the player. And if you got a guy who can do it, you know, you sure as heck hope the, the, the head coach is philosophically open to the idea of letting him try. Some of it is the conditions, right? I mean, Jason Elam is a very dear friend of mine. He's a dear, dear brother. Y'all would do well to have him on this thing sometime. And Jason got to play in Denver and Denver is like a kicker's paradise, especially for, you know, the first two thirds of the year, Um, you know, toward the latter part of the year, it probably gets a little tricky and Jason would tell you that, but, you know, if you're in Denver in, you know, late August, early, you know, early 
you know, all the way through probably early to mid-October, and even sometimes maybe late October, early November, you know, kicking at elevation is fun. I mean, the ball goes further. It's a fa- it's a fact. It's mm-hmm. a physical fact, fact of nature. And and so Jason had some shots in Denver that a guy, you know, kicking in San Diego at sea level doesn't doesn't get. Um, and the flip side of that is that a guy kicking in San Diego, you know, has some conditions that are favorable compared to a poor guy kicking in Green Bay or Buffalo. And and so, you know, one opportunity, two conditions, you know, yes, physical ability goes into it. By and large, every guy kicking in the NFL can kick a 60-yard field goal. It's just that some don't get the opportunity. Some don't play in an environment where it's super conducive to that. And then I think the final thing, and and kind of, you know, even to what you were saying about, you know, we're seeing all these long kicks. Are, gonna, are we going to see more of them? For about... Um, for about eight or nine years from 1999 through, I guess it was probably about 2008 or nine. I'm not sure exactly kind of when things changed. The kicking balls in an NFL game were different than the game, the, the balls today or the balls before 1999. They, they were for about almost a decade shipped to the stadium. They weren't allowed to be touched before the, you know, before the day of the game, they got there, they got worked out, broken in a little bit, inflated, et cetera. The wax was rubbed off of them day of the game. And so for that decade or so, it was a, you know, you might say a competitive disadvantage for kickers, punters, snappers, et cetera, because we were using a ball that just wasn't a whole lot of fun, you know, to kick. In years prior to that and years since that, and the, re- the way I know this is because I participated in years prior to that, and I'm well aware of years since then, the balls have been broken in prior to the game, be- before the day of the game. Guys yeah. are getting access to balls, and and so that's just a competition committee rule change, right? I mean, up until 1999, the competition committee didn't care that much about the balls since you know, they, they decided, you know, in 99 through whenever they, they kind of changed the rules, you know, again, I, again, I think it was about 2008, nine, somewhere in there, maybe even as late as 2010, you know, they started having the, the guys, the equipment guys be able to work the balls in, uh, which is a, which is a benefit, right? And so you're seeing some of these long kicks, I think in, in part, because, Yes, the kickers have gotten better. They've gotten more focused. They've learned new ways to develop leg speed. They've trained their bodies better. Every era and generation of pro athlete gets better and better and better physically. We're yeah. witnessing witness that in all sports. More assets and resources, you know, allocated to their development. Uh, better nutrition, all kinds of things. But also, partially, they're kicking a better ball. And the best analogy I can make for that is. Um, you know, if you go buy a really, really nice pair of leather shoes or you go buy a really, really high quality baseball glove, you hate those shoes and you can't stand that glove and you can't even use that glove to field the first three, four, five, eight, 10, 12 days you have it. That's why you break in a glove. Yeah. You put a softball in it, you wrap it tight with a rubber band, you sleep on it, you put it in the bathtub in hot water. You do all kinds of crazy stuff. The same with your shoes, right? You wear them around, you bend them, you 
twist them, you do all kinds of stuff with them. And eventually you say, ah, this is why I bought those $300 shoes. They're, they're amazing. And you wear them for 10 years or you, you get your baseball glove exactly broken in the way you like it. And, and you field everything that comes to you. It's the same with kicking a ball. It's, it's the leather's more supple. It's more compressible. And what does that mean? Well, physics says force equals mass times acceleration. You hmm. swing your leg fast, you hit a mass, it's going to accelerate. And, and the faster you, know, you swing your leg, the further the mass is going to go. And so I think that's a lot of it. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Mm-hmm, for sure. And before you mentioned your beliefs in God and everything like that, tell me, take me through the process of your walk in faith, faith in football. How has that been going? Well, yeah, that's a great question. I became a Christian and started following Jesus now over 30 years ago at the University of Georgia. Um, I really grew deeply in my faith in my years in in the NFL and especially in Seattle and and a couple of the other stops. Um, You know, my my career was primarily spent 10 years in Seattle, uh, Kansas City and San Francisco, and then I retired playing in Atlanta um, and, and had what we call a cup of coffee in Pittsburgh where I got hurt, um, one year and, and ended up, uh, having my contract void and, and put me in a position as a free agent to sign with San Francisco. And so learned a lot over the years walking with God and learned a lot about humility. You don't kick in the NFL very long and not, you know, find yourself on the short end of the stick, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. of humiliation, um, you're not going to make every kick and some of the kicks you miss are going to, you know, in a sense matter more than others. And, um, and so grew a lot in my faith during the NFL, married an amazing, amazing, godly, beautiful woman. My wife now almost 30 years of marriage, uh, early in my career. And, and because she loves Jesus and because she has walked closely with him and is, is a godly wise woman, that's been a great help to me. Um, and then have surrounded ourselves with Christian community, with with brothers and sisters who think the way we do, with the local church, and had people in my life like you know Dr. Carl Payne in Seattle who discipled me for six years at Antioch Bible Church and and taught me what it looks like to be a spiritual leader and to walk humbly and to walk wisely and to know God's word and to know how to apply it in in life and situations and make sense out of things going on in the world and understand the battle we're in. You know the Scripture makes it clear we're in a we're in a spiritual battle, right? Mm-hmm. We're we're not in a battle flesh and blood. We're in a battle against the spiritual forces of wickedness, the principality of darkness. And if we don't think so, just look around for a minute and see what's going on in the world. And so have grown consistently. Uh, one of the things Dr. Payne always used to say was uh, in, in a Christian life, growth should be normal. We should never, ever be going backwards. We should always be growing that's the that's what Jesus is doing in our life is is the Holy Spirit is making us more like Jesus. We're growing, we're developing, we're maturing. And um, and so I'm really grateful that I over a long period of time now, not as long as some people, but pretty good chunk of time, three plus decades have walked with God. And I've found God to be everything he says he is. He's faithful. He's true. He's good. He's merciful. He's grace. Uh, gracious, he's generous, he's kind, he's our protector God, he's our refuge, our strength, our strong tower. Um, And the amazing thing, the craziest thing about who God is, 
is the scripture tells us he's our friend. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely crazy. And in a world where people are dying and starving for friendship, it's pretty stinking crazy that the creator of the universe, almighty God, says, you're my friend. Amen. If we trust Jesus in our life and we walk with God and the Holy Spirit lives in us, then the God of the universe is calling us our calling us his friend. And that's amazing. Amen. Agreed. It is amazing. And thank Amen. you for that. And thank you for kind of walking us through that, taking that really quick back to, to, to football really right now. So you, you're a Christian and these even players that are you know currently in the NFL and that aren't even Christians, or then you are Christians and you're struggling with these things of, you know, you're trying to be the best that you can be or here you are a person of faith going out there and God, you've given me the ability. I've worked hard. Now I got to go kick a game winning field goal. You know, it's human nature to, you know, to be praying at that point. Hey, God, help me make this. Help me to do the best that I can. Now, all of a sudden you hit the post, you missed it. You guys lose the game for you personally. Is, is that a moment of, Hey, God's still faithful and I'm, and I'm going to trust him in that. Or do you now have to like wrestle with, with your character uh, of now? Okay. Now I'm embarrassed. I just missed this kick. Now the team's looking at me. They know I'm a Christian. What's that? What's that process like? How, how, especially when they're young people? I mean, people, these guys in the NFL, you know, they're they're young kids, really. And and then for you, when you're, it's young, you're in there, you're you're being challenged by your faith. How, how does that? Does that affect? Does the game affect your faith, or does your faith affect the game more? Well, I hope your faith affects the game more, right? I mean, one of the things that that Carl taught me and that I've learned is true and heard other people say is, is, you know, in Philippians 1, Paul talks about his circumstances turning out for the greater progress of the gospel. And if I believe God is good and he's big and he's sovereign and he's and he's bigger than my circumstances, in fact, he's sovereign over my circumstances. And Romans 8 says he's working all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Then if Paul can sit in a dungeon cell with rats crawling on him, chained to the wall, hungry, wet, cold, you know, peeing on himself, hmm. beaten, tortured, and he can say, hey, my brothers, Philippians 1.12, I'm, I'm telling you, my brethren, my circumstances will turn out for the greater progress of the gospel. Another translation says for the advance of the gospel. Then why do I not think my circumstances, even when they're not what I choose, when, I, when they're not what I desire, why do I think they won't turn out for the greater progress of the gospel? And maybe, maybe the Lord lets me miss a kick because it opens up a conversation with a teammate who sees me handle adversity different than he handles it. Or, hmm. or maybe it helps me have compassion toward a teammate who drops a pass in the end zone that would have won the game. I didn't miss it on purpose. I worked my butt off Monday hmm. to Saturday to make kicks. And, and the proof of that is the fact that I have made most of my kicks. I, I, I didn't, if I wasn't in the game for the right reason to make the kick and to help my team win, then I'd have been out of the game real early because you don't get to stick around in the NFL if you don't perform. And so the fact that I made 80% of my kicks and made 99 point whatever it is percent of my extra points and, and kicked off effectively and led my teams well, that's why I got a chance after a miss. And like I said earlier, you know, when you miss, you got to bounce back. And, and you really ultimately in the NFL as a kicker get paid 
to make a kick after you miss because everybody's going to miss. Justin Tucker misses. He doesn't miss very often, but he does miss. And, and, and when you miss the difference between, as the saying goes, the men and the boys is who makes the next kick. And you'll be out of the NFL in the snap of a finger. If you miss two or three kicks in a row. Yeah. It doesn't matter how good. Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. I, it's a different perspective to look at even a missed field goal. I, I love that in, in of just getting that different perspective from you. So so thank you. It helps us. It kind of yeah. changes the way how we view the game of even watching the missed extra point or the missed field goal. And for me, I want to sit there and go like, all right, now I want to watch f- football and exactly. I want to see what happens after that miss. I want to see how they're coming back. So that that's super cool. That is very cool. And it's very interesting to see, like, that perspective is really nice to see, and it gives me a whole different outlook on kickers and the whole thing, because like you said before, people, they just see kickers and they go out and they do their little, the kick, and I think, oh, yeah, that just, that happens, there's nothing really interesting about that, but after hearing you talk about all this, it's it's very enlightening to see all this cool stuff and all the thought that goes behind it. Now, back to football. Dad is going for the Bills this year. I am going for the Saints. I don't think they're going to make it, but my heart has always been in New Orleans. Who are you going for this year? (laughs) Well, I'm going to confess, I really don't have a great NFL allegiance. I mean, I I am not a great fan. Um, My wife picks on me all the time says I'm not a great spectator. And I guess when you did what I did for a living, you pile on top of that five years of major college football, you know, um, 260, 70, 80, 300 games, whatever it is. I don't know where it was effectively my job. I just am not a great fan and spectator. Um, I think we, we probably have a bigger college um, affinity right now than than an NFL affinity. Do I want Seattle to win? Sure. You know, it was a ton of fun playing there. Dear friends there. Um, playing in my hometown, Atlanta. Awesome. Playing in San Francisco a few years. Really cool. Uh, but really everywhere I played was, was good and fun and I learned a lot and I met amazing people. But I think because the Georgia Bulldogs are the best team in the country and they won the national championship last year, and I played there and kicked there and met my wife there. It's pretty hard to not be excited about the dogs. And then our son plays at the University of Michigan, and they are a phenomenal program and having a phenomenal year and uh, coming off a great year last year. And really, I think they're going to give everybody a, a run for their money. And so it's pretty hard to not be in the corner of the maze and the blue. Um, and so, you know, we probably got a little more college college fanfare in us right now these days than than uh being you know all wrapped up in the nfl yeah i know that makes total sense and and i'm with you on that i can get that yeah my nephew currently is the quarterback for the butler bulldogs in indianapolis and so we talked with him a couple weeks ago and it was cool just getting his perspective you know a young quarterback kind of breaking things down what just speaking of college when i was looking up just stats as far as long field goals i actually i don't remember the name of the person but back in 1976 Right now, the longest field goal ever made is 69 yards in a college game. I, that's I don't even can't even fathom that. Yeah. It seems unlikely, but it is, and it's in the record book. So you never know what's going to happen in a college game, I guess. Mm-hmm. So hey, Todd, I, thank you so so much for being here. Yeah, Th- thank this you. This has been fantastic for us. It's been really just 
cool to get your perspective, to break down some of those plays with a kick, to break down some of that thought process, breaking down your faith in football. It has been just an honor for us to be able to spend some time with you and to talk with you and and thank you for, for giving us that time and your time and, and helping us to kind of understand a little bit more of the game. Well, my joy being with you guys and really fun to connect with you and, um, you know, the Lord gave me an interesting platform because of 13 years in the NFL and it's a privilege to, to, um, steward it and to use it, use the influence that comes with it for, for his glory in this, in this world. And, and to uh, meet guys like you who I know are trying to do the same. So really fun. And Isaac, keep up the good work. Keep your, uh, keep Thank your you. old pops in love what you guys yeah. are doing. Thank you. Really appreciate your time, Todd. Dude, that was awesome. That Isaac, was awesome. Having a kicker breaking down some of that different perspective. I have a different perspective watching kickers now going yeah, in and I got and respect kicking for kickers now. A field goal or kicking an extra point. So we didn't get a chance to really break down and analyze no, some of the games this week, but that's okay because this was just fantastic. I loved being able to talk with Todd Peterson. We're going to have a big pile of stuff to talk about next week. I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be a lot of fun, Isaac. Don't forget to like us wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us. uh, Share us. All that good stuff would be awesome. Mm. You can comment anytime on the Podbean app or send us an email, tabergridiron at gmail.com. We'll talk next week. See you.